Are you a good listener? Are you a good listener? It depends on who you ask, huh? Maybe. Early in the ministry, I resolved that I wanted to be a good listener. I knew that if, if I wanted people to know that I cared about them, and if I wanted people to give me their trust, I needed to be a good listener. There was this mantra that was instilled in, in many of us as undergraduate students, and it said, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And they'll know you care if you listen. Now, I learned that in certain moments, it was easy to listen. And I also learned that there were some people that were really easy to listen to. One of the best compliments I ever received in my entire life was when one of my friends who identifies as an introvert said to me, Tim, you are my favorite extrovert. Now, I knew that probably meant there was like a thousand introverted friends ahead of me, but I was so flattered to be a favorite extrovert. And I understood a little bit about that. I try on my better days to be an extrovert who is self-aware. I try to be an extrovert who doesn't dominate conversation. I try to play conversational ping pong where like something is said to me, I, I talk for a little bit, then I ping-pong back to the other person, and we take turns, and I try to do that. I was feeling kind of good about myself. It was like a big deal to me that that, that person acknowledged that. And then I also realized in other conversations that I was struggling in listening. And I was like, you know, some people are, are hard to listen to. In some of these moments, is it me? Is it them? What is going on here? And around that same time, somebody came up to me, a volunteer leader, and said to me, Tim, people are saying, uh-oh, never a good way to begin a sentence, people are saying that if you don't talk to them, they're interpreting that as you don't care about them. Oh, I was confused. Wait, because I wasn't talking to them, they thought I didn't care about them? I was listening. And I took it so personally. Oh, I can't even listen right. I mean, I, I was stunned. I, I was defensive. They said this about me? I'm the 2007 extrovert of the year. I mean, how could they say this about me? I was combative and argumentative about it. No, it means the opposite, you see. You should be listening to me, listening to you. I was angry. Just who are these people? These people who are saying this. I was hurt. You know, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not really supposed to be in the ministry. And then later, I was reactionary. Well, if that's what they're saying, then I, bet, I guess I better talk to everybody. I'm going to wait to speak, and then I'm going to talk enough so they know that I care about them. And just like that, I became an even worse listener, and I was missing a really key concept about listening I was failing at listening with care. And that's what we're going to focus on today as the second missional practice of our blessed series. If you're just joining us, welcome. We're so grateful that you are with us. I'm Tim Galley. I'm the pastor of Group Life here at Grace. 
And we are in week three of our BLESS series, and we are talking about our second missional practice. Pastor Tom Van Antwerp kicked us off a couple of weeks ago, and he gave us the overview of BLESS and how we want to be a blessing to the world. And last week we talked about B, which stands for Begin in Prayer. And today is Listen with Care. And as you can see, we have other letters that we will be covering. And I just want to encourage you to to try to memorize them because there may be a pop quiz coming on these letters in in the coming weeks. But we also hope that this becomes a transformative practice for our church. We really do want to be a blessing to those around us near and far. We want to We will hope that this changes us individually and this changes our community to be people of blessing. I know you've heard a lot about listening over the years. I thought it would be appropriate for us to just kind of pause for a moment and and consider why are we such poor listeners. First reason is perhaps we are so preoccupied with ourselves that we miss opportunities to listen. I mean, obviously, our lives are so busy and so full and so hurried that we just get so stuck in our own world. Someone comes up to us and asks us how we're doing, and we are just off to the races. And and part of it is that we're just so over-focused on our own needs and our own problems that we're not even sure if we can even handle another care, if we can even take the time to listen to another need. The second of why we're such poor listeners is that we are losing our heart for others. This is connected to the first. We're we're so preoccupied with self that we miss the opportunities, and we're also leaking this heart for others. We fall into the scarcity of care mentality. I have my own problems. I'm not even sure I can handle being a good friend to you right now. We find ourselves not showing care for others. The third reason perhaps why we are not good listeners is that we are inconsistent in our relationship with God. It always starts here. There is a correlation to how we live when we are true in our communion to God and how we treat others and also how we live faithfully to the calling that we have personally received. I mean, if our prayer life is faltering, if our time in Scripture is anemic, if we don't have a desire to reflect the love of God to those around us, we will fall into the traps of selfish living, making everything about us and our cares. We are poor listeners because we're missing opportunities, we're losing our heart for others, and we are inconsistent in our prayer life. And the truth is, we need someone to listen to us too. We need more listening all around And that's what makes the second missional practice of BLESS so important. The world needs listening. And it's always been true. Even the time of Jesus and his disciples. And today I want to show you a passage when it was hard to listen to someone's problem. And then how Jesus responded and what we can learn from that. So it's the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. It begins in Matthew chapter 15. And here are the first few verses. It says, Leaving that place... Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My my daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, this is a part of Matthew where Jesus is in full action mode. 
I mean, the previous chapter, Jesus was feeding the 5,000. He was walking on water. He had that moment with Peter. He's healing the sick. He's debating with the Pharisees. Earlier in this chapter, he's, he's having a little bit of a frustration with his own disciples. There's even this like, awkward moment between Jesus and his disciples where they're asking him something, and he says, Are you so dull? Ouch. I mean, how do you answer that question coming from Jesus? Are you so dull? Maybe. A little. The text con- continues on there. And, and after this story, Matthew's going to have Jesus feeding another 4,000 people, healing some more people. The arguments between the Pharisees and him are going to intensify, and soon he's going to be arrested, and he is going to be crucified. I mean, it is action-packed right here. The text says that, that they went to Tyre, which is a Gentile city that borders Galilee, in in what is now called modern-day Lebanon, and it's about 30 miles from Capernaum. And as you read the text, you see that Jesus is trying to withdraw for for some time of prayer and also to spend some focused time in teaching his disciples who are not getting it. He's trying to get away, and this Canaanite woman cries out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Now, If we were trying to figure out the rest of the story without reading ahead, we would assume that Jesus would have said something wonderful like, I'm sorry to hear that. Do you believe that I have the power to heal? And if so, bring her to me and I will heal her. But that's not what happens. Instead, this is what happens in verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. The disciples are annoyed. It's like they're saying, I'm sorry, lady, we're closed. You'll have to come back during our normal business hours for deliverances and healings. Uh, We can schedule perhaps an appointment on Friday for you if you give us your contact info. And they urge Jesus to get rid of her. And then Jesus says this in verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Oh, my goodness, what is going on in this passage? What a tough passage. For the longest time, I I resented this passage, and I avoided teaching from it. I wondered, like, when I get to heaven and I ask Jesus about this passage, I wondered if Jesus was going to say, yes, Matthew terribly misquoted me here. (laughs) Took way too many liberties. And then I had this thought of, like, what if I get to heaven and I say, Jesus, what happened in this passage? And he says, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Did you not understand what was happening here? Are you so dull? Maybe. A little. Well, here's some context to sharpen our dull biblical understanding here. At first glance, we see a form of discrimination. This woman is is Canaanite, and specifically Syrophoenician. And we would rightly be offended by the implication that Jesus does not want to help her on the basis of her ethnicity. That would be wrong. And we need to appreciate what Matthew is trying to do. This is the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew is trying to write to a Jewish audience. 
And a key message in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is coming to restore Israel first. That's his primary mission. And then to save the world. And the restoration of Israel is to call people back to be the people of God the way that they were meant to be. And then we'll see throughout the rest of the New Testament in Paul's ministry, how Paul's ministry then focuses on the rest of the world, the Gentiles. But Jesus is to, is, has to come here to save and restore the people of God and save the world. So when this non-Jewish woman comes up in a, in a place of privacy with the disciples, culturally, the disciples see her as acting out of line. She's a Canaanite woman, and the Jews and the Canaanites have been at war with each other for hundreds and, and thousands of years, really. So special favors are not going to happen here like this. And it's the ancient Near East, and these men are functioning out of this patriarchal mindset. And so they, they, they want to get rid of her. And I know this is offensive to our modern sensibilities, and it should be. And thankfully, we have made significant progress over the, the 2,000 years here. And may we continue to make progress right now from our, our ethnic and tribal and gender and ideological presuppositions and blind spots so that we can truly be more loving to those around us. But that's not even the worst part. I mean, what about this strange thing that Jesus says? I mean, this is Jesus saying this. If you put the passage back up from 24 to 27, at first glance we see Jesus comparing her and her daughter. Did he say dogs? Now, any comparison risks offense. But anytime you compare a human to a non-human, it is problematic. And why use comparison at all? Why not just say it straight? Why not just say, listen, I came here first for the Jews. I'm not actually here right now for the Gentiles or the Canaanites. My first mission is to restore Israel. And if you don't mind, I need to spend some time in prayer and teaching my disciples who are struggling right now. Legitimate question to ask. But what if? What if Jesus in his omniscience, in his wisdom, in his goodness, recognizes that this woman is bright, is brave, is shrewd and resourceful and humble, and he detects that she has an amazing heart of faith. What if Jesus is going to use this amazing woman in front of his disciples who really don't get it, and he's going to let her shine in front of them and in front of us? What if Jesus is going to do what Jesus usually does and turn the moment on its head so that we can be changed? Well, I believe Jesus is wise and smart, and this is what he does. Here's our first clue. Maybe you caught it when we were reading. In verse 23, when she says these things, Jesus did not answer a word. Now, we might think that Jesus is ignoring her by that sentence, but Jesus is listening. Jesus is listening with care. Jesus is listening with his heart. And he is listening to her heart. This is the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that is in prayer listening to the Father's heart so he can be attentive to the needs and the hearts around him. This is his mission to redeem and save humanity. 
So he enters the conversation by explaining his first mission to them. And he says, I was sent to save the lost sheep of Israel. And the first time he uses a, a, a comparison of a barnyard animal is actually to his own people, the lost sheep of Israel, which is also not complimentary. He also calls his own people children at the table, which could be seen as, as a sense of condescension. But that's not what Jesus is trying to do at all. He's not trying to insult. Jesus is speaking in code. Jesus is speaking with metaphor. This is how Jesus teaches. And this woman understands it. Listen to what she says, and listen to also to what she's doing. Kneeling in humility, earlier acknowledging, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Acknowledging his lordship and his authority, she requests help. And she knelt before him, Lord, help me. And he says this part is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she says, yes, it is. And then this part. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I mean, I'm not sure I ever would have guessed the story would end like that. Do you see what happens here? She understands Jesus' mission better than his own disciples do. She understands the code. She understands the metaphors of Jesus. In essence, she is saying, I honor that your first priority is to save Israel. But when Israel is saved, the world will be saved. When God's people are redeemed and blessed, the whole world is blessed. And that spills on to me. If you want to bless the children of Israel first and, and tell us that we're like the family pets, that's fine. Jesus, I am just asking that you heal my demon-possessed daughter, that we would be blessed as part of your mission. And Jesus says to the woman, you have great faith. You get it. Yes. And he heals the daughter right then. Oh, I've always loved this passage. I mean, what an amazing piece of scripture right here. I mean, the daughter is healed in all these unexpected twists and turns in this story. And of course, some of it gets lost in our English translations, but this is what's happening here. And this woman is amazing. And she shines then and now. And I often wonder what that moment must have been like for her and her daughter afterwards. I mean, she comes in begging for help. Years and years probably of dealing with with a demon-possessed daughter. I, I have nothing to compare that to. And then now healed. I mean, the first time she looks at her daughter, healed now, and she gets to see this beautiful and radiant personality emerge from her. I mean, what a day of deliverance. What a day of salvation. Ah, oh, if we could bless people like that. If we could bless people like that. If we could be a church that blesses people like that, with God's supernatural help. Oh, sign us up. There's a lot going on in those, just those eight verses, and I want to focus from the lens of listening so we can catch a few things. First is, we have to listen to God. In the previous chapter, Jesus went to the Father in prayer. After he feeds the 5,000, he goes to the mountainside to pray. And he does this to stay on mission to be spiritually strong, to grow his heart for people. 
Because prayer is the fuel for mission. Prayer is how change happens. Prayer is where the power comes from. And I want us to pause here and reflect on Pastor Tom's message last week in this first part on bless, be in prayer, begin in prayer, and focus on the part where we have to go to places to pray. Because that's what Jesus did. He retreated to particular places, and sometimes they were different places, but it was a focused place to pray so he could get powered up again. Where is that for you? Where are those places for you? Where are those times? What are those times for you? Because when Jesus prays, he does not stray from the plan. He does not suffer mission drift. He's able to serve and to love and to care and to listen. Can I ask you something this morning? Maybe as a diagnostic, is it possible that our inability to take time to listen to others is a reflection of our inability to listen to God? If you want to care more for people, those you know and those wonderful strangers who are going to come and intersect your life at some point in your journey, there's not some type of listen more switch that you can just flip on. The listening is going to have to come from a place of care, and that's going to have to come from prayer. That's first, is listening to God. Second is listening to others. Take the time to listen to people. It takes time and willingness to not talk. And that's a sacrifice. And that's why we want to do this over Lent, because Lent is a time of sacrifice. Lent is a time of self-denial. For some of us, it is harder to not talk than to give up chocolate type of a thing, right? And all these elements have an all these practices have an element of self-denial. And as we journey to Easter, let us meditate on, on this idea of self-denial. Maybe you're realizing that you need to be a better listener and you're trying to figure out how. I mean, not talking is part of it, but if you want to listen with care, it's more than just about not talking. It's also about not making the moment about yourself. There's a term that's being used now called the conversational narcissist. And that's when every conversation finds its way back to you. Have you ever had this experience when you're telling somebody a story and you haven't even finished the story and that person interrupts you and says, oh my goodness, something very similar happened to me. And you're thinking to yourself, I haven't even finished the story. You have no idea what happened to me. That's the conversational narcissist, which is different from from the actual form of narcissism. This is more of a, a, a popular term type of thing. And part of it comes from a sincere desire to want to relate to people and want to try to help, to help people. And you can help and you can relate, but first you need to listen. If you want to grow when you're listening with care, then you have to work on your active listening skills. Again, it's not just waiting to speak. Active listening requires concentration. It requires a spirit that seeks to understand. And sometimes appropriately paraphrasing to demonstrate that you are receiving what that person is saying. Sometimes asking questions for clarification. This is what listening with care looks like. This is what Jesus was doing when he was listening to the woman. He listened with his heart. He listened to her heart. And perhaps we should ask ourselves, who are the outsiders in our lives that need us to listen to them? We should also ask, Are the insiders in our lives feeling that we are listening to them too? 
Third, we need to listen for opportunity. We need to be attentive and ready for the opportunities that come our way. We also need to create margin in our lives so that we can have these opportunities. And believe me, I know how hard it is to create margin in life. It's also why we made the ask to our blessed groups to meet five consecutive weeks in order that we might create margin to hear from God and to focus on these practices. Bless you for making that effort. But when we create margin, we overcome preoccupation with self. And this allows us to be more alert to the needs and the opportunities that present themselves in front of us. This allows us us to be present. And people need you to listen to them. Specifically, people need you to listen to their needs and their hurts and their frustrations and their joys. Over and over, we keep hearing about the loneliness epidemic in our society and that people are more lonelier, lonelier now and isolated now than ever before. Older people, younger people, in every spectrum, people are experiencing loneliness. And our addiction to our devices are just, is just compounding the problem. If you can, try to listen without having a phone in your hand when you're having a conversation with somebody. And you will notice that it makes a difference in how you feel that you're receiving the information, and the other person will also feel that they have your undivided attention. This is something that we all probably have to work at. Do not feel shame. Just let's, let's just try to work on it. But people need you to listen to their needs. People need you to listen to what they're experiencing, including their frustrations. Right now, even it could be a relational thing that they need you to listen to. It could be a societal, political frustration that they might be having. It could be a spiritual doubt. I feel that we need to listen to each other's differences right now. I've been in the ministry for 20 years, and I've I'm old enough to have witnessed the stark difference in our cultural conversation. We used to be able to talk and listen to one another, and while we probably weren't great at it 20 years ago, I know it's worse now. Our cultural discourse is worse now, and I feel that this is an opportunity for us as Christ followers and for us as a church to listen to people, to listen to the differences, to listen without judging to listen to seek to understand, to listen to the injustices that are happening to people, to listen to people's pain, to listen with care. We would be an amazing blessing to this world if we listened with care. One word of caution as you try to find these opportunities to listen with care. Remember that you cannot handle all the needs and burdens that people are going, to, are going to express to you. We're trying to move this pendulum from preoccupation to listening with care, but you can't handle it all. So don't over-exhaust yourself trying to carry every problem. You were not made to carry every burden. Be faithful with the opportunities that come your way, and then retreat for a time of renewal and prayer so you don't become overwhelmed by the burdens. That's a practice of self-care. And may the Lord give you wisdom on that. I want to finish with a story here of something that happened to me when I wasn't being a good listener to a good friend. And it's, it's always 
had an impact on me, even as I, as I serve in, in, in the local church context. Back years ago when I was living in New Jersey, a friend of mine and this mentor had this standing meeting every Wednesday at 7 a.m. at a local Starbucks. And it came as a cost to all of us. I mean, my mentor friends, you know, he had a family, he had a professional job, he had a lot of responsibilities. My other friend, he had a part-time job, he had two jobs, uh, he had a lot going on. I was in full-time ministry, I was in full-time seminary, we had two babies under the age of two at the same time. It was just a lot going on. And every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., I'd be like, I don't know if I should go. Oh man, I'm tired. And somehow I made it out of bed and I, I'd go pick up my friend's. And at the end of his driver, we would have to make this dangerous left-hand turn to make our way to the Starbucks. It was a type of left-hand turn that you pray for forgiveness to Jesus before making the turn type of a thing, okay? You know that type of turn? Lord, I just want to commit, I just want to repent of all my sins. It's similar to the prayers that you pray when you're like on the, on the plane and you're like on the tarmac or the runway and it feels a little slippery out there. And like you hear these strange noises coming from like all these different places. I'm like, I'm not sure that's right. Lord, I just want to pray for the pilots <laughs> and their families. And you don't want to be selfish, so now you're praying for all the planes and all the airlines, and like you're like this, this aviator prayer warrior type of person. It was that type of left turn. Okay? We'd make this left turn, we'd survive. And I wanted my friend to know that I cared about him, and my friend was an introvert guy, and I'm an extrovert guy, and, and, you know, apparently if I don't talk to the introverts, even though I'm the 2007 award-winning extrovert, you know, he's going to think I don't care about him. So I would talk him up. How was your week? Did you watch the latest episode of Lost? Did you watch the game last night? How are you feeling about this? And I was just trying to make conversation. And I started noticing a cooling in our friendship. I started noticing that he wasn't dialoguing back with me that often, I started noticing that I had to put more work into this, into this friendship. And then later, there was, this upcoming, there was a Sunday morning where all of our mutual friends were coming up to him and saying, I'm sorry about what happened. Oh my goodness, I heard. And people were giving him hugs and, and like these soft condolences. It didn't seem like anybody had passed away and I just hung out with him before that. I'm like, what happened? So I made my way up to him like, what's going on? Uh, did something happen? Oh, no, all's good. Uh, how was your weekend? I was fine. How was yours? And he clearly didn't want to tell me. I was like, oh, there's like a breakdown happening in our friendship, and I don't know what happened. Soon after that, I picked him up on a Wednesday morning, and we, we made our way to the Starbucks, and I started talking to him like I usually do. And he interrupts me, and he says, Tim, can we just not talk on this drive? I was stunned. I was like, oh, Sure. And he was like, you know, sometimes you don't really listen, and I could just, maybe just, maybe we could just not talk. I'm like, okay, I'll just drive you as your chauffeur to Starbucks and pretend not to talk. I mean, I was stunned, I was hurt, I was defensive, I was frustrated. I'm like, why don't you just drive yourself to Starbucks if you don't want to be talking to me? But that's not what he was saying at all. And I knew what he was saying. I knew he was feeling overwhelmed, and I knew I probably wasn't, I was not doing a good job listening. And so for like the next nine months or so, I would just pick him up, just check in real fast, we'd make the turn, we'd make our way to Starbucks, and we would just drive in quiet. 
I wanted him to know that I was, I was willing to listen. Now, he wasn't saying anything to me, but I was making space to listen, and I didn't understand yet how valuable that would be. Then one day, he gets in the car. I didn't quite notice that there was a bounce in his step type of a thing. We make the dangerous left-hand turn. My adrenaline is wearing down from, like, you know, cheating death once again this week. But he is still kind of, like, like good to go here. And he says, hey, man, I'm in love. 6.50 in the morning, he is telling me he is in love. And he is just off to the races himself. I'm like, she's amazing. You know who she is. It's incredible. Oh, I, 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 I can't believe this is happening. I'm just so excited about it. Do you remember back in May? We went to that barbecue. I was wearing that blue shirt and the, the khaki shorts. And I'm like, oh my goodness, let's go back to the not talking thing. This is just overwhelming me. Huh. There's no way I sound like that. On the <laughs> and we pull up to the Starbucks and he says, please, don't tell anybody. You're the only one who knows. I'm like, I'm the only one who knows? I don't even know about the car accident that happened last year, let alone this. Of course, no problem. We go in, we hang out with our mentor friend, we leave, and he says, the reason nobody knows is this is a little bit of a complicated situation. I'm not sure how her parents really feel about me. They feel that she's a little young, and I'm not really sure that I'm worth this relationship. I'm not really sure I'm worth her loving me back. She's amazing. I'm not sure I'm worth, worth that. And he was kind of unpacking that a little bit to me. And I was doing my best to listen. And I had actually made it to a point where I didn't really have anything to say. And then he turns to me and says, what do you think I should do? And I got to this place where like, I, I never thought he was going to ask me for any, any advice. I never had anything pre-planned to ever say again. And I thought for a moment, and I'm like, you know, when you came into this car, you were so elated, and now the mood of our car has changed into concern. And I know this about parents. They've been praying for their daughter to find genuine, true love with a godly man since the day she was probably born. And you, my friend, you are an incredible man. Honor her. Honor her parents. Honor yourself before the Lord. And enjoy being in love. It was the best I had. Got to the house. There may or may not have been tears coming down people's cheeks. I, I don't really have a sense of details, friends. And he gets out, and Thankfully, everything worked out great for them. They got married. They have kids. They have wonderful in-law relationships. Everybody's happy. It's, it's perfect. But for me, as it relates to this, this moment and this message, I started to really understand the power of listening. And I started to understand what happens when we don't listen to those who are near to us. And I started to understand what happens when we make space to listen with care. And friends, I want to ask you this morning, because you're living a different type of life than I'm living. What does listening with care look like in your life? I have a dear friend at this church. 
he makes it a point to call one of his friends who is going through one of the worst situations you can go through in life. And he calls up his friend as, as his friend is commuting home just so he can listen. He doesn't know what he's going to say. He doesn't even have a plan to say anything, really. His plan is just to listen to his friend trying to process the pain that he is going through and the loneliness that he is going through. And every now and then he says, hang in there, I'm praying for you. Hang in there, I love you. Hang in there, God is near you. I have another friend. She's a young woman. And she was trying to figure out how to deal with a particular friend who was going through a really difficult time. And her, her friend who was going through a difficult time, she needed, she needed professional counseling. And my friend was like, I can't provide the level of counseling that she wants in friendship. So they made a deal together. They said, we'll have coffee or lunch or a meal every time that you go to your professional counselor. Because your counselor can't be a friend to you, and I can't be a professional counselor to you. But you can meet two amazing people this week <laughs> if, if you go to your counselor and have, and have coffee. And, we, and I, we will both listen in the appropriate ways that we can, and it's working out great for them. And I love that arrangement. I wonder what would happen in our small groups if we were more intentional and more focused on listening? What would happen in our small groups if we were more intentional about listening to each other? I bet you the wisdom would flow more naturally. I, I bet you we would carry each other's burdens more faithfully. And I bet you our, our groups would be tighter and closer and more strong-knit if we practiced this, 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 this gift of listening with care with one another. Friends, what does it look like in your life to listen with care? I believe strongly that we bless others when we listen with care. We will bless others when we listen with care. And to do that well, we need to spend some time listening to God. And so at the, on the other side of this message, we're going to turn it over to your campus pastor and locally we'll have a moment here. And we want to spend a few moments in silent reflection listening to God. We want to pray in our hearts that God would bring up names and faces and moments and opportunities for us to be faithful with this week. Because friends, I believe that here is where the church can shine. I believe that here is where we can be a blessing to those who are close to us and those who we don't, might not even know yet. Here, when we listen with care, we get to live out what Jesus modeled for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for this powerful scene in Scripture. And we're thankful for what it teaches us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for, for showing us how powerful and how transformational listening is. And we desire, Lord, to, to bless others in a similar way that you have blessed others and that how you have blessed us. And so with your supernatural power, Lord, we ask that you would work through us for your glory and for the sake of others. May you help us, Lord, to be faithful with the words that are being said to us. May you help us to avoid the temptation of making it about us. May you help us, Lord, to overcome our preoccupation. And may we be people full of peace and love and joy, waiting to bless. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. If we can keep
this moment of silence going here locally. And if you could just pray silently, silently to yourself, Lord, who are the people that I need to be listening to this week? Hear us, Lord. We are listening.